know how when most, most of life just kind of blends together, at, le- at least it does for me. I, I, I barely can remember what I ate, you know, a couple days ago. You know, mo- most days you just kind of go through life. But every once in a while, a day happens that just sticks in your memory. It, it might be because of a good thing. You know, like my wedding day was a, a great day. That, that one's kind of ensconced in my memory. Hopefully, if you're married, that was a good day for you too. Uh, you know, but some days you remember them because it's kind of scary or, or, or something bad or tragic happened. And they stick in your mind for the, the wrong reasons. I have a memory from when I was six because it was, for me, a scary moment. I was a kindergartner. It was the spring semester, which meant I went to the afternoon session. I mean, is that not the life? You get to sleep in, you get to play all morning, have lunch with your family, and then you finally have to go and do some work. I mean, it was, it was great. And when the weather was nice, my dad would walk home for lunch, eat with us, and then he would walk me to school because my school building was right on his way. Well, on this particular day, my dad had something else, and so he had our one and only car. And my mom just didn't feel like taking my younger brother out on a walk all the way to my school. And so she decided to let me walk up to my best friend's house, David. And so I was going to ring David's doorbell. He'd come out, we'd walk then to school together. Well, I ring the doorbell, and David's mom comes to the door, and it turns out David had like a doctor's appointment or dentist appointment, and so he was gone with his dad, and his dad was going to be dropping him off. So I needed to walk to school by myself. Now, keep in mind, this is back in the 70s, all right? Small town. Everyone watched out for everyone's kid. I don't think my parents would allow me as a five-year-old to walk to school by myself if it was in this day and age. But back then, eh, no big deal. Five-year-old walking down the sidewalk, no one thought anything of it. You just all kept an eye on each other. Well, about... 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds after leaving David's house, I hear some lady yell, Jamie! Now, I knew Jamie. Jamie was a fellow kindergartner, but he was in the morning session, and I had just walked by his house, so I assumed he'd been out playing, mom was calling him in for lunch or something, and so I just keep walking. But pretty soon, I hear, Jamie, stop! And I realize that mom has two little twin boys, probably about age three, dragging behind her. And they're yelling, Jamie, stop! And I suddenly realize, they think I'm Jamie. And so I I turn around and I yell back in my little six-year-old voice, I'm not Jamie! Case settled. I turn around and I keep walking to school. Well, either they couldn't hear me or they didn't believe me. Because they continued to follow, yelling, Jamie, stop! Jamie, stop now! And so I turn back and try to yell a little louder. I'm not Jamie. It didn't work. Pretty soon, the mom is now yelling threats at me. I'm pretty sure if a DHS worker had heard her, she would still be in jail to this day. Like, I fear what kind of home life Jamie had growing up because she's now threatening all sorts of physical abuse, and now it's when I'm getting scared. And why I didn't just take off running, I probably could have made it to my school before them. I mean, she had two little three-year-olds that she was dragging behind her. But I was scared. And in my moment, I just ended up sitting down on this hillside. I was in someone's front yard, and they had this little hill, and I just sat on it, and I've got tears streaming down my face, and I just yell at the top of my lungs, I'm not Jamie! And all of a sudden, at this point, she's about close enough, and she actually stops yelling at me. She pauses and gets a little closer, and now she's probably, I don't know, 12, 15 feet away, and she suddenly realizes, it's not Jamie. She grabs her twin's hands, and she mumbles, uh, sorry, little boy, and she just takes off, leaving me crying on the hillside. 
I was the victim of mistaken identity. Now, it was understandable, all right? I had brown hair like Jamie. I was in kindergarten, so about the same size as Jamie. And I did walk right near their house. And so it was very explainable that she could think I was Jamie. Obviously, though, I was not. It was a case of mistaken identity. Well, just this past week, the uh, Dallas Cowboys released uh, their wide receiver, Lucky Whitehead. Lucky primarily did punt returns for them. But I don't know if you heard this in the news, because on June 22nd, last month, Lucky was arrested for shoplifting. Well, he was given a court date, and he didn't show. Well, when he didn't show for the court date, a warrant went out for his arrest. Well, on the APB, the Dallas Cowboys heard it, picked it up, And within a couple of hours, they dropped him from the team, saying that this was a pattern of behavior, and they didn't want someone like this a part of their organization. And so they let Lucky go. Problem is that on June 22nd, when the uh, shoplift took place, Lucky was on an airplane flying to Washington, D.C. It turns out that the man that they arrested for shoplifting knew Lucky Whitehead's real name, realized he looked a little bit like Lucky, so he figured out what Lucky's birth date was. He even managed to get Lucky's social security number And so when the police arrested him, he gave all of Lucky's information. So the police assumed, we have Lucky Whitehead. And so when Lucky didn't show, because he didn't know, they put out a warrant for his arrest. Well, poor Lucky wasn't very lucky in that after being dropped by the Dallas Cowboys for a case of mistaken identity, they refused to take him back. They're not going to let him back on the team. I I think he needs to change his number. Uh, (laughs) I don't think he's lucky number 13. Uh, So apparently some other teams are now interested in Lucky. Maybe he'll find a new home. But he too, like my six-year-old self, was a victim of a case of mistaken identity. Well, if you're a Jesus follower and you take the Bible seriously, you probably do what I sometimes do, and you engage in a case of mistaken identity. And that when you read the Bible, you read about these humans, and you read their stories, and you see some of the mistakes they make. You see some of them, how they fear God. And if you're a God-fearer, you can identify with them. And so as you read their story, you start to make their story your story. And you begin to engage in a case of mistaken identity. And one of the cases that we do this with so often is the story of Daniel. My daughter, Karis, uh, when she was, I think, in fifth grade, sixth grade, she did a Bible study called Dare to be a Daniel. It was this study through the book of Daniel, and it was designed for students to encourage them that as they engage in school life, to be like Daniel. Because if you study the book of Daniel, especially chapters 1 through 6, you'll see time after time where Daniel gets persecuted for his faith, or his friends get persecuted for their faith. They hold on to their faith in God. God rescues them through it. And as they come through it, God gets praised, and they get like prominent positions within the government. Right? And it just keeps happening after chapter after chapter after chapter. And the idea then is for youth to then be like Daniel, that when they get persecuted for their faith, whether it's in school or by their friends, that they hold on to God and God will see them through. Now, I'll be honest. I want to be a Daniel. I want to be the type of person who is so in love with Jesus that no matter what people say, no matter what the culture is saying, I adhere to my faith. But I think for us to reduce the story of Daniel to being a user manual for navigating our culture I think it lessens something that's even more important. I think that's good, don't get me wrong, but I think there's something even better for us. And that is to not put ourselves into the story of Daniel, but to realize that Daniel's story isn't trying to point to our story as much as it is trying to point to Jesus' story. 
so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go into this very famous story, and we're going to look at it, but we're trying to look at it, instead of trying to see how we fit into the story, we're going to see how it actually points to Jesus, and I hope that that actually challenges you and encourages you, no matter where you're at in your spiritual faith. So let me pray. Father, as we get ready to come into the scriptures, into the story, I pray that ultimately you would be the teacher. I've put in time and study and preparation, but God, ultimately it needs to be what you need to say because there are so many different people here. They're at different places in life. They're in different places in their spiritual journey. Some are in different places emotionally. And God, I cannot possibly speak to each and every situation. And so that's why I just pray that you would take over, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every person because you know their name, you know their story, you know their fears. And I pray today that you'd rescue them from a mistaken identity and that they would begin to find their identity in Jesus. So, Father, may you take this story and make it come alive in new, fresh ways, and we would walk out of here just wanting to praise you for who you are and what Jesus has done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we are going to be in Daniel chapter 6 today, but I'm going to, we're not going to actually get into Daniel 6 until later. What I'm going to do in a little bit is we're going to read from a kid's Bible that's going to help sum it up for us, okay? But if you want to open up to Daniel 6, go ahead. Turn to Daniel chapter 6, and as you're turning there, and first, if you don't know where Daniel is, it's the cheat sheet's up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we always have paper Bibles back on the table. We also encourage you to download a Bible to your phone. Totally feel free to pull that out and use it. I'm not worried about you going to Twitter or Facebook. I figure if you're going to Twitter or Facebook while I'm teaching, it's because I'm not exciting enough. All right, so we want to get to Jesus. So, so feel free to pull out the phones and use the Bible on there. But what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a couple of different prophets. We're in a series called His Story. We believe that the Bible is the entire story of Jesus. And so we've been just walking through Genesis. We'll end up through Revelation in November. And we're just kind of highlighting through different parts of the Bible and seeing how it points to Jesus. Well, the last couple of weeks, we saw some of the Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah was one. Ezekiel was another. And we saw how they were warning the ancient Israelites that if they did not come back to God, because they were starting to worship other idols, other gods, and God was sending warnings to him, like, I love you, I've created you, come back to me. If you don't, I'm going to have to discipline you. And God would give them all sorts of warnings. And the extreme warning was, if you don't change, I'm going to send a nation from the north, they will defeat you in war, and you will be taken into exile. Well, Israel didn't repent, and that's exactly what happened. A nation called Babylon came down, defeated them, and took a large number of the nation back to Babylon to live. One of the people that they took back was a young man named Daniel. Now, the Babylonians were actually very, very brilliant in their conquests. Rather than see themselves as being so superior in all ways and crushing everyone, they thought each of these cultures probably has some good things about it. So let's take the best of them. And so they would find some of the brightest and best young men and incorporate them into the Babylonian government. Daniel was one of them. And so Daniel, as a young man, begins going to school, learning the Chaldean language. He starts learning their, their religion. He starts learning their culture. They, in a sense, were trying to erase his Judaism to make him more Babylonian, thinking that he's one of the best out of the Jews. He could help bring some of that in and make us a better, stronger nation. But what we see throughout the book of Daniel is that Daniel and his friends do what they can to learn within school, but yet still hold on to their Jewish faith. And we continue to see how God rewards them as they hold on to their faith. So Daniel ends up being one of the best and the brightest that they have. 
And the interesting thing is that no matter who is the king, because as you go through, you start seeing a number of different kings, and yet Daniel always seems to find a way to a place of prominence. Often when a new king would come in place, he'd want to land his people there. And so they might get rid of, you know, whether it be dad's, you know, old friends or whatever, we'll fire them. But some way, somehow, Daniel and his friends always end up sliding back up the ladder into places of prominence. Well, what happens as you come to chapter 6 is that Persia has just come in and defeated Babylon. And Daniel, you would think then, would be reduced back down, that Persia would bring in their own people. And yet we find Daniel continues to be back up at the top, and he was actually considered one of the brightest and one of the best. So that's where we're at. So to do this a little differently, because chapter 6 is kind of long, I've invited Bridget to come and read to us from the Gospel Story Bible. This is the curriculum that uh, our Kids Creek are using. So it gives you a sneak peek of kind of what our kids are hearing and being exposed to. Bridget's one of our teachers, so it gives you a chance to kind of see what she does. You can come on up. Uh, And so you're not going to be able to like kind of read in your Bible and kind of go verse by verse. If you want to skim through, feel free. Otherwise, just listen to the Gospel Story Bible as Bridget reads to us. Daniel in the lion's den. King Nebuchadnezzar and his son, King Balthazar, died, and Babylon was taken over by a new group of people, the Medes and the Persians. Darius the Mede became the new king. Darius chose 120 leaders to rule over the kingdom, and he picked Daniel and the two other men to be presidents over them. Daniel served the king so well that the king planned to put Daniel in charge of the whole kingdom. But when the other leaders discovered the the king's plan, they were jealous. They looked for a way to make Daniel look bad, but they couldn't find anything. So they came up with an evil plan to trap him. They came to the king and suggested he make a new law. O king, you should make a law that anyone who prays to any god or man but you should be thrown into a den of lions. They lied to Darius and said that all the presidents of the kingdom had agreed. But no one had asked Daniel. The other leaders knew Daniel prayed to the Lord every day. Once the king signed the law, it could not be changed. So the trap was set for Daniel. What do you think Daniel did when he heard about the new law? He didn't stop praying. Daniel opened his window and knelt down in front of it so he could look toward Jerusalem as he prayed. And just like always, Daniel gave thanks to God, no matter who was watching. Soon the evil men came to spy on Daniel. They caught him praying, just as they had hoped, and they hurried to tell the king. Since Daniel had broken the law, he had to be thrown into the den of lions. The king was very troubled by the news. He looked for a way to save Daniel, but the law could not be changed. Sadly, the king ordered Daniel thrown into the lion's den, but he said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. After Daniel was thrown to the lions, a stone was laid across the opening, and the king sealed it with his ring so that no one could open it. We are so blessed with the uh, teaching team that we have for Riverwood, uh, for the Kids Creek Ministry. I love it when Leanne comes home from one of their meetings. She's just all excited uh, and just, you know, to have Bridget and Sarah and Leith and just to have this team together. Uh, it, it's great. So thank you very much, uh, Bridget, for not only reading, but just for what you do for Kids Creek. So what we just heard is that King Darius gets tricked into establishing a law that makes it illegal to pray to any other god. They are only to pray to the king. And the, if, if you break the law, it's capital punishment. And the first guy to break the law, or at least get caught breaking the law, was Daniel. That's where we're at. So I would just want to make a few observations about the story for for where we're at right now. First, Daniel knowingly broke the law. 
Right? It wasn't like they, they secretly got this past and then Daniel's praying and, and they, they kind of caught him in it. No, Daniel knew about the law. Even though they passed it without his approval, without his input, they, they snuck it past him. He heard about it, yet he still went and prayed. I think that's why Daniel is such a hero. I, I, to, you know, a lot of Jews, a lot of Christians. And I think it's why there's curriculum called Dare to Be a Daniel. This idea that even though the government was trying to shut down his faith, he still would pray. Now, I think that's a good thing, but I don't want any of you walking away thinking, so therefore we've got to just rebel against the government and live lives of anarchy, okay? No, anarchy is not next to godliness, all right? The, the scriptures are clear. We are supposed to submit to our government, uh, our leaders. We, we're actually to pray for them. We're, we are under them. But when those leaders pass laws that try to shut down your faith, that's when you can't. If you're a Jesus follower, your first allegiance is not to country, it's not to political party, it's not even to political ideology. Your allegiance is to God. And so Jesus is to come first. So you do everything you can to come underneath the rule and reign of the government, but your first allegiance is to Jesus. Daniel does this perfectly because Daniel, think about it, is a leader within the government. He was a president, one of three, and he was the top of the three. And yet he serves, provides wisdom. He does what he can, which if you think about it, it's really remarkable. I, I mean, Babylon comes into his home nation, destroys probably some of his family, kills them, carts him off, tries to erase his culture, his religion, his language, and yet he still serves. He still would provide wisdom. He would do what he could to help. Back in the book of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was writing to the people, to the people in exile. God says through Jeremiah, basically, work for the good of the nation. Work for the good of the city. And it's like Daniel heard that and took it to heart. He served faithfully. He wasn't an anarchist trying to overthrow it. He was there to serve. But when they tried to shut down his worship of God, he couldn't do it because his faith was more important. His allegiance was to God more than it was to country. So Daniel knowingly broke the law, not to try and be a jerk about it, but just because his allegiance was first to God. That's the first observation. The second observation is that Darius makes a lousy deity. Darius was a false deity. You have to understand that in a lot of ancient cultures, that the king or, you know, Pharaoh, Caesar, whatever name you give to the head honcho, that they were often considered a god, a, a deity. And so it was not strange for a law to be passed saying, pray to the king because he's a god and you pray to gods. And so for 30 days, pray to the king. And so that was not weird. But did you notice that when Darius realizes he's been tricked to pass this law and his best president, his best guy is now going to get thrown into the lion's den, he's absolutely helpless because he wasn't a true deity. He could not do anything because the way they structured their government was once you passed a law, you could not overthrow the law. And so he basically had to wait out the 30 days for it to be done. So he was helpless. He was a lousy deity. I mean, deities don't lose sleep overnight thinking I can't do anything. He, they don't, you know, feel like I can't eat. But that's what happened to Darius. In fact, when, when Daniel's in the lion's den and Darius is up all night long fearing, worried, 
I wonder if he didn't pray. Now, I'll be honest, it's not in the text. I really wish it was. Because I know myself, I know other people, that when they get desperate, even if they aren't religious, they can't help but say, God, if you're out there, I suspect that Darius starts saying, Daniel's God? He sure believes in you. If you're real, would you help him? Because I really like him, and he seems to love you. So will you rescue him? So often, we are kind of like Darius. Now, now, we don't go about trying to pray to our you know, king president. All right? I, I mean, even the most ardent Trump supporter or, or Obama supporter, I doubt any of them ever kneel by their bedside and pray to you know, Trump. But yet, our hearts are kind of the same way. We often will try to turn things into gods, into deities. And we try to trust them, in a sense, to rescue us. You know, I've confessed a number of times, you know, mine's entertainment. I remember about two months into my stint as the young adult pastor at a church in Cedar Rapids, a very tragic moment happened. A little girl, I think she was about two years old, almost drowned in her bathtub. She and her brother were playing. She fell in. The little brother didn't know what to do. Mom finally found her, and she basically became a I hate saying it this way, but, you know, went to, became just a vegetable, almost brain dead. There was just enough activity to kind of keep the organs functioning, but just barely. It, it was not good. And I remember it was, I think it was like a Tuesday morning. Um, our staff was in staff meeting, and all of a sudden, uh, our secretary comes to the door and says, Aaron, uh, this young adult couple, they, they've almost lost their daughter. It's a really bad situation. Can you go to the hospital? So I left staff meeting, and I spent all day at the hospital with them. And so here I am in the middle of this tragedy, trying to comfort this, this family. You know, I'm spending all day in the hospital. And that night, it, it, it was our anniversary. And so Leanne and I were supposed to be going out for pizza that night. And so I remember we're sitting in this restaurant. We're brand new to Cedar Rapids. And I'm telling her all this taking place and just absolutely heartbroken. And I can't remember our original plans for the night. But I remember like saying, man, I just want to escape this. You know what? Let's just go to a movie. The thinking being, I'll go to a movie, get immersed into the story, and I can just kind of escape the hospital room and the tragedy and all that stuff. We'll just get, you know, over there. I was, in a sense, turning the movie into my deity, hoping that it would rescue me for at least two hours. Well, problem was, we chose to go see the brand new Spider-Man movie starring Tobey Maguire. This shows you how old the story is. Uh, So we went to the theater, and the movie failed me twice. First, it failed me in that when I came out two hours later, the situation was still there. I hadn't truly escaped. But the worst part is that during the movie, if you know the story, Uncle Ben gets shot, Aunt May ends up in the hospital. So I end up being in a movie with tragedy and hospital rooms. And it was just like, I can't escape. This is why you can't turn other things into deities. You can't turn your your relationship, your spouse, your kids into a deity. They're not going to be able to rescue you, to save you from any inner turmoil and pain. You can't turn your job into it. You can't turn money into it. You can't turn substances into it. You definitely can't turn movies into it. I know by experience. It doesn't work. Darius was a lousy deity. He couldn't truly rescue Daniel. So why in the world were people praying to him? Because he was helpless to do anything. Don't make the same mistake. That's another case of mistaken identity. These things aren't good deities. Make it about God. Make it about Jesus. Only he can truly save. So seek after him. All right, the third observation I want to make is that even if you don't know this story, 
All right, I, let's say you've never heard of Daniel in the lion's den. You're sitting there going, oh my goodness, he's been thrown into the lion's den. If you pause for a second and think about it, you're going to realize he gets rescued, doesn't he? I mean, because think about it. Why would this be a famous story if he holds on to his faith in God, gets persecuted, thrown into a lion's den, and gets mauled and eaten up? I mean, like, no one's going to be going like, what a story. No, like, it would probably fade away into antiquity, and no one would know the story ever since. Plus, Daniel recorded these things. In order for us to get the pen, uh, you know, from him, he's got to come out. So you know he lives. And so you can almost, like, rest easy. Like, okay, you get thrown in with lions, but he comes out. But even though you know the end, I still want us to hear it. Because it's especially here at the end that I think we really, truly see the story of Jesus. So join me in Daniel 6, verse 19. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is where I see Jesus. I really believe that this story is more about Jesus than it is about us. That we see Jesus as the true and better Daniel. And I see at least three things. There's probably more, but I'm going to point out three. The, the first is Jesus, like Daniel, had leaders who were jealous of him. Think about Daniel's story. If I were to say, why is Daniel in the lion's den? You'd be tempted to say, well, he broke the law. He prayed to God, not to the king. Yeah, but why did that law get put in place? Because there were leaders who were jealous of him. This Jewish boy has grown into a man who's in a prominent place of position in the, in the government. He's got the king's ear, and other people want it. They want that power. They want that position. They want that prestige, the reputation. And so they tried to find something against Daniel. But the text tells us that he was a man of integrity. They couldn't find anything. The only thing they could see about him was, well, he doesn't worship the Babylonian gods. He worships the Jewish god. Ah, what if we attack that? Likewise, Jesus was surrounded by a bunch of leaders who were jealous of him. They were envious. And when they tried to find fault, they couldn't. They had to concoct lies about him. But the problem was, Jesus is the only human ever to have not sinned. In fact, his disciple Peter wrote this in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter wrote, He, Jesus, committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's what Daniel did. Daniel entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. 
He knew that God is the only one who could bring him through. He couldn't trust in Darius. He could only trust in his God. And Jesus, likewise, as he's arrested by jealous leaders, he entrusts himself to God. And so that's why when he's reviled, he doesn't return it. He doesn't seek vengeance because he knew God is in control. He knew this is why he'd come. And these, these jealous leaders were trying to eliminate him. The second thing I see in Jesus' story is that Jesus was thrown into a den. Jesus was thrown into a den. When, um, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, the expectation was that he would be ripped apart. All right? that, that he'd come in and these lions with their claws would rip him apart, with their teeth they'd rip him apart. He'd be mauled and that'd be it. That'd be the end of Daniel. Now, we know that, that, you know, Daniel claims that an angel came, shut the, the lion's mouths, and so he made it through the night. Now, Jesus was not thrown into a literal lion's den, but it was a metaphorical lion's den. Because Jesus, when you look at after his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, he gets ripped apart. At first, we see him ripped apart emotionally. When he is standing before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court system, and they're trying to bring all these accusations against him. They're mocking him. They're making up lies about him. And after they condemned him to death, some of the soldiers would come up and spit on him and slap him, saying, who hit you? Prophesy. Now, the thing is, Jesus is probably sitting there going, um, yeah, your name's Jonas, and your father is this, and you've done this and that, and I love you. But he didn't say anything. And then when he you know, goes before Pilate, Pilate's like, I find no fault in him. We'll just punish him anyway. We'll flog him, and then we'll let him go. So they rip up his back with, with cords. He's shredded. And then these soldiers, to just take the pain a little further, put a robe on him. Well, if his back's ripped apart, the robe would soak into the blood, and now they're going to later rip it off of him and reopen the wounds. They take a crown of thorns, they jam it on his head, and then they begin to bow to him like, oh, you're the king of the Jews. Rome was enjoying saying, oh, you're the king of the Jews? We're more powerful than the Jews. You be quiet. They're mocking him. Here is the, the God who created all things, including humans, and they're mocking him. He was emotionally ripped apart. He was also physically ripped apart. He was flogged. That, that whip I just mentioned, it actually had things like glass and other things embedded into it. So it didn't just sting the back. It would actually latch onto the back. So when they'd pull it off, it'd rip the flesh off. When those nails were driven in, I just imagine it's like lion's teeth, just driven into these tender spots, and he's hung up on this cross. The crown of thorns jabbed onto his head. And there comes a moment when he says, it is finished, and he breathed his last. Just to make sure that he was truly dead, a Roman soldier took a spear up into his side, pierced the heart, and the scriptures record that blood and water flowed out. Well, medical science reports that that is a sign of someone who's already died. Jesus was dead. He went through the lion's den. That leads to the third thing that I noticed between Jesus' story and Daniel's story, is that they both came out alive. Now, Daniel was not killed. He was absolutely spared. But yet, in the heart of the king, Daniel was dead. If you look at Darius' response, as soon as the sun starts coming up, he runs to the den. He's like, move the stone, move the stone. And he calls in, and it says in the ESV that he spoke in a tone of anguish. He's fearing Daniel's dead. But there's just this inkling of hope 
and he calls in, Daniel, are you there? And when Daniel calls back, oh, king, I'm alive. In Darius's heart, Daniel's resurrected. He comes out alive. Now, Jesus was not just like, you know, alive, but just put in the grave. No, he was dead. They made sure of it. The Romans were experts at this. But when he got laid in the tomb, no one expected him to come out alive. That's why as you read in the Bible, you see his disciples. I mean, they're hiding. They're in fear that they too will get arrested, that they too might get killed because they followed this, who they thought was the Jewish Messiah. And so they're in hiding. They're fearful. They're not sitting around going, ha, just wait. A couple days later, he's going to come out. Just, just watch. It's about to get awesome. No, they thought this is it. It's over. And they're wondering, what do we do next? The, the, the women who it records on that Easter Sunday morning, as they're going to the tomb, they're not expecting Jesus to be alive. They're sitting there thinking, how are we going to get the stone rolled away? There's no way us women can do this, but yet we need to finish the burial process because we had to take the, path, I mean, the, uh, the Sabbath off. They, they were trying to figure out, how are we going to help honor the body of Jesus? How are we going to finish the burial process? They were expecting him to be dead. No one expected him to be alive. And yet that's exactly what happened. Just as Daniel unexpectedly came out of the lion's den alive, Jesus comes out of the grave alive. Jesus is the true and better Daniel. And so if you read the story of Daniel, I want to say, go ahead and dare to be a Daniel. His story is awesome and amazing. But don't make the mistake of mistaken identity, putting yourself into his story. Instead, Change it and realize that his story isn't supposed to point to you first. His story is to point to Jesus first. And as his story draws you to Jesus, now you begin to find your story and your place in this world as you discover who Jesus is and what he's done. So if you're a Jesus follower, please dare to be a Daniel. Don't forget that Daniel's story points to Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you today to place your faith in Jesus. It, most people, when their eyes are open to the truth of this, this story, when they realize that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't just to be a good example, but was actually on our behalf, when, when you realize that the Bible teaches that the penalty of sin is death, and then you start realizing, yeah, I've, I've done some things wrong against God. And suddenly you realize the penalty is supposed to be death. And yet Jesus went to a cross to pay our penalty for us. And now he invites you to come into a relationship. Your sin is forgiven. God holds nothing against you. And so that's why he says, come, come. Just abandon your heart and come. Set aside your false deities and come to me. God loves you. He's paid your, the, the price of your sin. It's forgiven. So come, give your life to Jesus because he gave his life for you. Most people, when they have that moment, when they realize the story is true, as crazy as it is, it's a true story. They often express it in prayer. They, they, they will express and say, God, I realize that, that I'm a sinner. I, I've missed the mark. And yet you paid for my sin. And so because, Jesus, you gave your life for me, I will give my life to follow you. I will have a heart abandoned. And when that moment happens, you go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. You come out of, in a sense, your own spiritual grave, and you come out alive into Jesus' kingdom. And what happens is then, as you begin to follow Jesus, the image of, that God put inside of you 
that was marred through sin, he begins to repair it, to restore it, to heal it. Because God's dream and goal is to help you to love like Jesus loved and to live like Jesus lived. He has a plan to use you to be a blessing. But that means you've got to get out of your own world and get away from this mistaken identity that it's all about you and move into this place where you realize your life is to be all about God. And as you make it all about God, now your life has meaning, it has purpose, and God does something amazing through you. And as you live that sort of life, he gets the glory, and you get the joy. You get the life that you always have been looking for. And because it isn't found in entertainment, it isn't found in, in uh, you know, your workplace, it isn't found in a relationship, it isn't found in these false deities. It's found in the one true God who sent his son to go through a lion's den to defeat the lion of sin so that you could come alive. And so, Father, I pray right now for anyone here who's been struggling spiritually. Maybe it's because they have been wondering if the story is true, and right now they have a sense that Jesus really did come to this earth, God in the flesh, to live a fully human life, to live a sinless life, and yet to go and die a sinner's death. And he died in our place. And so, Father, right now, as they confess their sin, as they say yes to following you, I pray that you would just embrace them and welcome them into your family, into your kingdom. And this would become a life-changing event, that this would be a day that they remember, that this Sunday wouldn't just blend in with all the other Sundays, but that today, July 30th, 2017, they find life in Jesus and they begin to change and they will never be the same. Lord, I pray for any Jesus followers here today that, that have allowed themselves to get away from the one true God and they've created these false deities whether it be entertainment or, or substances or relationships or work. And they've allowed these things to encumber their hearts and their minds. And, and they've been looking for rescue through them. They've been looking for meaning through them. And, and they know the truth of who you are. And yet they just settled for a lesser story. And right now, you're just saying, I love you. I forgive you. Come back. And I pray that they would do so. And that, th that they would leave here today just with their burdens lifted. They would feel lighter because of who you are and what you've done. And they would enjoy just the washing of your Holy Spirit upon them because you have created them in your image. You want to restore that image so that they will go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. So God, help rescue me, rescue all of us away from our selfishness, away from that mistaken identity of thinking everything is about me and just continue to reorient our life so that we live Jesus-centered lives and it becomes all about him. Jesus, thank you for going through the din. Thank you for dying for us, coming out alive so that we could follow a risen Savior. Help us to follow you no matter what happens around us. In Jesus' name we pray.